You're listening to an episode of the Break the Cycle podcast on the SVTV network. My guest for this episode is a legend among strategists. He founded Australia's first full-color hip-hop magazine called Stealth in 1999. He's worked with Leo Burnett, TBWA, McCann, and many more agencies. He's consulted the likes of Apple and VaynerMedia to name a few. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. As the host of Sweathead, his podcast, and the author of Strategy is Your Words, Mark Pollard has a unique take on strategy. And it's not just a term that we use to impress clients, but actually a way to look at life. And he's been teaching it in the most amazing way possible. Ladies and gentlemen, this man has my eternal gratitude for teaching me without knowing it and for agreeing to come to this show without a clue of knowing who he's talking to. It is my pleasure to introduce Mark Pollard. Enjoy the episode. A lot of the people who know me outside of this frame would probably be surprised to hear that I was jumping around like maybe a five-year-old when I heard that you agreed to do the interview. Uh, could you show me what that looks like? I, I'm so, not too sure. Because so, I, I, I want to show my 13 and 12-year-olds who never jump around when they find out that I'm <laughs> still here. <laughs> thank, but thank you. Uh, I thank you, actually. Because uh, I've been following your work. Uh, and I have to say that it's, it's, it's been influencing a lot of my own, uh, my professional side of things, uh, specifically, cause I've been referring to your notes, trying the four, four corner model and everything. And, uh, I'm pretty sure that people are going to wonder what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to start with an introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Pollard. Oh, hi. Well, that's barely an introduction. That's, <laughs> CEO whatever, of whatever's Jungle. less than an introduction, that was that. But yeah, keep going. There's just like a name. CEO of Mighty Jungle uh, started Australia's first full color hip hop magazine called Stealth in 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, you worked with Leo Burnett. You worked with a host of brands, uh, McCann as well, TBWA. Uh, you've done some really fun stuff with Julian Cole. I will say that. Uh, and you host the Sweathead podcast, which is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. All, most of those things were true. I struggle with compliments, but the, uh, the, the stuff outside of the compliment, all of those things seem factual and accurate. <laughs> I did my research for the first time. From your website, mostly, and your LinkedIn. Yeah, good, good, good. That's what it's there for. That's what it's there for. Yeah. Uh, social media is talking in a way. It's legal. I still look, I stalk myself sometimes. I got a little bit of a bouncy. I've been in agencies since I was 19. I'm turning 42 in a, what's the day in a week. Uh, I've got a bit of a bouncy CV and sometimes I read my own website to make myself feel better and to feel that I actually am okay at what I do. So I get it. I stalk myself too. Right. Um, I wanted to actually, uh, my first question to you was going to be straight up. Like, could you, could you tell me about your journey? Because uh, one very interesting thing that you had put out in your introduction was digital strategists didn't exist back then. I'm, I'm kind of confused about whether they still exist in my realm because every other person seems to like to call themselves that. But I, uh, I really wanted to hear your journey into this uh, profession. 
uh, definitely blood dripped just as blood dripping slow journey of trying to crunch and slash my way to a sense of self really. And I think a lot of people who do strategy work do it because they're trying to work out where they fit into the world. Not all of them are broken. Some of them are super privileged and well put together and they come from loving families. And some of them are from very elite loving families. But a lot of us, uh, not to say that I'm none of those things, but a lot of us are also a little bit broken and we study the human condition to work out what the hell we're about. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's been the trajectory of, of the journey. You know, I would, was in agencies at the age of 19 the first 10 or so years were working on more digital projects in digital agencies or in digital departments of agencies i wasn't always full-time in agencies uh you know i was also publishing a hip-hop magazine and putting on events and distributing music and doing a ton of stuff from 19 to say 26 27 Mm-hmm. I wasn't a brand planner per se until I was 28 and that happened at Leo Burnett where I had a dual role. So this is 14 years ago, a dual role of doing brand strategy at half the time and the other half of the time I was doing information architecture and user experience. And that was a pretty hybrid situation in Australia back then at least. Mm-hmm. And moved to, I uh, spent a couple of years in Cannes Erickson in Sydney, moved to America nine years ago, right around now, definitely nine, not 10, nine years ago. And uh, Saatchi and Saatchi ran strategy at Big Spaceship in Brooklyn, worked at a couple of other places. And, you know, just I think the, the thing that I learned in New York is that I'm not like a traditional corporate employee in advertising here. I feel for the most part, despite a few of the rebels that I know and love, for the most part, it's a pretty corporate sterile activity in, in, in a very conservative creative ecosystem, big words. And so I set about trying to find out what the hell I was about in life, which is a thing that hits a lot of us in our late thirties and early forties. It's not always through those ages, but it's around those, it can be around those ages for a lot of people. And was just tried to, for the first time, listen to myself better and to try to build a life around it right now. And so a lot of the things that people are seeing on the internet is, is me trying to work out how to exist. I do it through the lens of, of strategy through the theme of strategy, critical thinking, creativity, but it's, that's the journey. And it's, it's just started, but I feel like I've passed into more of a life's work phase of life right now where I think about deathbed a lot, you know, what do I want to, what do I want to have done before I, I die? And I, I try to apply that not in a heavy authoritarian way on myself, but just if, in case I'm feeling a little bit lost or, or lost in my head or a little bit foggy, mm-hmm. but that's the, that's the journey. It's interesting that you try, that you equated just like the, your your life in a way to strategy, or rather strategy to your life specifically. Mm. Um, so, help me understand, like, how, how do you define strategy? Because I mean, we've got multiple definitions. We've got the 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 Sun Tzu's and the war, like, and the chess strategies as well. We've got the ultra jargon-filled marketing strategies, something that I think we all deal with, at least in, the, in, in our space of uh, communications or uh, advertising, etc. But you've got a very interesting take on how you've defined strategy. And in fact, you put up something on Insights today. Uh, could you take me yep. through that, please? Yeah, so there's a couple of things there. I mean, I think in its broadest sense, strategy is is kind of a bedfellow of philosophy. like. Why do we exist? What does this exist for? What, why does this shampoo exist? And how is the existence of this shampoo different to another shampoo? My soundbite for defining strategy. And again, when I define things, it's just the words I use to help me focus. I don't 
preach the words in a dogmatic way. Like you have to follow these words. I'm just saying, here's how I have found, here's how I've found a way through the jargon. So to me, strategy is an informed opinion about how to win. You're typically trying to solve some kind of problem. Yes, you could flip it and say you're trying to exploit an opportunity, but there's often some challenge that you're trying to solve, a problem that you're trying to solve, and you use a combination of opinion and information to try to solve it. And then under that, you obviously assemble activities, which you could call tactics or group in, a, in, in the word tactics, to execute. So an informed opinion about how to win is... You know, I feel it's true. I've spent a lot of time around, um, well, a bit of time around sports strategy and, and chess. I've got pretty competent little chess players here who play grand, who've spent years in New York playing grandmasters. And we talk about these things and, you know, take things in from philosophy and business, but it's an informed opinion about how to win. And I think the only really controversial thing about that, well, for some people, the word win might be controversial because a lot of strategists and me included were quite emotionally geared, not all, but a lot. And like the idea of winning, Oh my God, why have we got to win? Why do we have to have a world where people win and people lose? Well, that's one definition of winning. You know, there's other definitions of winning where not just one people, one person wins or a group of people win at others expense. So that's a zero sum game. Winning doesn't have to mean, but the most controversial admission in that sentence is the word opinion you know a lot of people think that they can know the future that they can find right answers to get to the next thing to do mm-hmm. maybe or maybe you're just guessing and maybe you're just making it up based on the information you have and what is so wrong with admitting that but that's where i come from the insights thing we can get into as well yeah please because um it's something that that I've been very interested in uh, ever since I got into this uh, was how we uh, have multiple, I won't call them definitions, just very mixed up ways of defining certain things. So when you say, I'm going to take this approach to solve this problem, do you mean, are you going to take that strategy to solve this problem? So... That's what I mean by the in the definitions that you've you've given, like highly simplified the words specifically. Yeah, but at the same time, every sentence, like you know, a strategy is an informed opinion about how to win. They house hundreds of little bits of meaning, mm-hmm. and the thing is that it can take the time to work out what you think by these words that you're using in a simple way. So. You know, there are probably a lot of 23, 24 year old strategists who've got good educations who are used to getting really high, high marks. They learn a word like insight or strategy from somewhere and they parrot it and they think they're better than anyone. They never need to learn about strategy or advertising or anything again because they're the smartest person ever. And then you're like, well, let's talk about some of the words that you're using. Like, do you actually understand them or are you just reporting them and echoing them? Mm-hmm. And I, I think it takes a bit of time to get into the, the soul of these words and to admit that sometimes it's like the the act and work theory where something that means one thing to one person might mean many different things to many different types of people and obviously you can get a little bit schizophrenic if you're constantly blowing apart things and what what does that mean here and who's what does it mean to this person so you be gentle with yourself as you do these things uh but the word strategy gets overused one and it gets used by people who don't really have a strong point of view on what it means and then there are often silent adjectives in front of that word like there are in front of words like idea or uh or or, or problem even right so strategy for example i think you got to be able to define it 
the sentence, what it is to you. And then that means you're probably going to need to work out what it means relative to the word tactic and what it means relative to the word idea. Cause those three words often go together and this isn't like, I can over explain it, but at the same, at the end of the day, I could also just do it. And it's like, it, I can use it, right? I'm not just being intellectual for the sake of it. I've, I'm, I've explored these things because I found a lot of people try to exert power over others through their language. Mm-hmm. And so that's really, there's like a, you know, the underground hip hop thing was often about trying to help people with voices that were unrepresented get, get a voice. And so that's still in me. And that's why that's one part of what drives me to pull apart this industry that often a lot of people who weren't super elite didn't get access to. Mm-hmm. So again, there's kind of, there's, there's a lot there, but the point is <laughs> to, to think about the words you use all the time, why you use them that way, what are other ways to use them? And then are you using them in good ways or better ways? And is it work? And if it is all working and you know exactly what you're doing, congratulations. If, if not, if you think you can do better work because of it, then think through these things. And that's all I've done. I just happen to do it in public. Hmm. Is that where the idea of uh, strategy is your words came from? Yeah, yeah. So that's the name of, name of a book. Uh, it's currently printing, at, like literally this week and last week. It's it's printing. Uh, yeah, it's not great grammar. Strategy is your words, mm-hmm. but it's what to me everything comes down to because words are the basic unit of communication. Yeah. There are feelings and body language and things we can't put words to, but eventually for the meaning of the thing travel, someone's putting words to it. And we have, we have choices in our, in our industry at the very least, which is do we want to hide behind expensive, long, fancy words that we'd never use in the real world? Or do we want to communicate in a way that's rapid and clear? Granted, I take 400 pages to explain this thing. So maybe I don't even, you know, maybe I'm not adhering to my own knowledge, but at the end of the day, the title is the point. Uh Uh, But that's definitely where it comes from. And and honestly, it's because words can be so fun and so interesting and so powerful. And yet I find so much of this industry is just full of shit with its words. And I don't think enough of us know what the words that we use all the time are. A word like idea. How many people can go, here's an idea is, here's how you have them and here's how I can help you have them and then let's do it. You know, like not enough. And theoretically for this to be taken seriously as a, as a proper profession, that's, that should be day one or the thing you need before you even get into the profession. And so they, I don't know, it's just weird. It's weird. I'm just doing old man rants because you're listening. No, I I, uh, I agree with you there uh, because one thing that I've come to realize. Uh, all right, I'm not going to throw my opinion here. I in fact uh, want to ask you this. To me, personally, I feel that the advertising, communications, marketing, the entire uh, gamut of industries, uh, we've hit a very interesting point here where we're forced to relook at every single thing that we've done. Uh, because we probably got so used to hitting this loop, this constant, uh, subtle plug cycle. And, uh, one thing that I'm really interested in right now is how we're breaking that cycle. The current crisis specifically has led to a lot of people rethinking how they're doing, how they're thinking, uh, as far as communications is concerned, how they're advertising, how they're 
uh, going to market their products. Um, and I'm sure you've experienced uh, this as well, because considering you consult a lot of these companies. So what are some of the, uh, what are some of the challenges that a lot of these people are trying to break out of right now? Yeah, look, I, I think there's a subset of people in the advertising and the advertising industry and, and strategists, especially who are trying to work out how to find noble causes in what they do. And his thing, I don't think there's going to be large scale change in the way that a lot of us hope there is, you know, I feel really passionate about uh, education and healthcare and distribution of wealth. I'm not as educated as I could be on those topics and I'm not informed. I don't have great ideas on those topics, but I think that things like education and healthcare, decent healthcare, I think they're human rights. That's, that's a starting point. Right. And here's the thing until we see power-seeking, narcissistic sociopaths and psychopaths held away from positions of power, widespread change is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the opposite of that, like just breaking everything apart, destroying all the systems and anarchy, that's, I don't think that's useful either. You know, I'm open to hearing thoughts from all spectrums of politics and thinking. And so I'm, I'm hopeful there are, you know, positive compassionate changes that come into effect but humans are driven by greed and seeking and access to resources and often by fear and that's what a lot of the populist leaders have been doing lately so i just want to put a little bit of a darker cloud over the question uh and and also you know having been through some some pretty bad downturns over the years most i feel if we're talking about marketers i mean most marketers just try to work out how to survive i would imagine you know, how do i keep my job and so that can lead to just creating briefs that they're never going to implement because they just, but they just want to stay busy. You know, that's a behavior that I saw, especially around 2008, 2009. Uh, there are some who are going to be thinking like, how can we appear as a compassionate brand? And that is a different question to how can we be a compassionate business to our employees and to uh, our customers? And there'll be another group of people who'll be like, how can we make the most money out of this as possible? And the thing is, I, I, I find a lot of conversations within the industry don't really admit that there are extremes of these things going on. There's like this, in media, they call it uh, the Overton window. So I don't know if you're familiar with the term, but the Overton window is a set of topics and a set of beliefs that people are allowed to have within a particular community or within a particular media environment. So that if you appear on Fox news or a CNN and someone asks you a question, your job as the interviewee isn't to challenge the premise of the question and talk about something that is like distant from it is to agree with the handful of uh, already predetermined answers to that question. And I feel that within the advertising industry, we do that as well. There's an open window where, most people, I reckon the numbers like 90% of the people who talk about strategy in public, it's trying to attach a client to something that they think is a noble cause and that is definitely left leaning. Uh, and this regardless of where my personal politics are. So your question is a good one. And there are many really good, you know, BBH has got a great, I was about to say thought piece and I was going to hate myself as I said it, but I said anyway, a great thought piece on. Uh, what marketers can do. Lots of agencies, lots of strategy for putting out really good thought pieces on, on marketers and how to respond. Uh, but I, I feel like the thing that I'm interested in is like, let's just not be naive about this. Things are probably not going to change in as big a way as we hope. 
Mm-hmm. That's probably not, not going to be a correction for nationalistic populism. Maybe this will increase it. But for some reason, people who do our work don't talk about these things because to talk about it means that you think it's going to happen, which means you're either pessimistic or you want it to happen or you're not creative enough. And they're, they're the kinds of conversations that I don't always have words for, but that I, I want to get into as opposed to, you know, what are three, what are three practical things that Mars can do tomorrow because of COVID-19? You know, I, I feel there's a lot of good thinking out there about it. Everyone's just trying to survive. Uh-huh. Speaking of cycles, because um, as is custom- Am I making you, I feel like my answers are making you blush for some reason. No, they, um, they're actually making me think further, which is- Sorry. Which is one of my, which is, which is one of the reasons why I do this podcast. Because I get the opportunity to talk to people and then think more because it helps me break out of uh, the opinion loop. So everything that I would be doing or I would have an opinion on is based on uh, a personal bias that I probably would have picked up from somewhere. Having another opinion that either agrees with me or better yet disagrees with me allows me to dive deeper. Hmm. Now, the question that I asked you about the industry change and everything, um, I, I, I took it from a very specific lens, uh, primarily because of, because of yes, uh, we're all kind of wondering where our jobs are gonna go. Um, are we doing anything different? For the more idealistic ones of us, uh, how is it that we're gonna create impact? Positive impact, and not to use, not to kind of use the jargon word impact, but do something that obviously serves a greater purpose that leads us out of the crisis. How do we do that? Um, and like you said, I don't think a lot of these conversations are happening. I mean, it's not just about marketers. Like if I were to take that tag away, if I were to remove the professional side of things and just look at us as human beings, because like you said, we're all studying the human condition, right? So from that perspective as well, I think the current, because, uh, the current quarantine situation, you're spending so much time with yourself. It's no longer that I do this because it's just my job and I'm going to sit and watch Netflix for the rest of the day or scroll through social media and just like, like an IV drip. So at some point you're going to hit that block where, okay, what am I going to do differently? Uh, what is it that's, what do I need to change? And whether it's personal or it's outside of, uh, or it's out, uh, outside the realm of just my environment and my work. So that's where my question was coming from. And I mean, so the answer you gave essentially makes me think further that, all right, what am I going to do differently now? <laughs> yeah. And that, that's not a good or bad thing. I, I have days where I'm like, I wish my brain wasn't like this. Honestly, I just, I just wish didn't keep going and you know martial arts and doing physical things can help it meditation can help it uh but sometimes i'm like god i wish i was a sociopath like that'd be it'd be so good not to have empathy like it like you know <laughs> making excuses for how people behave trying to see things from their point of view i just wish i was a sociopath for 10 years that'd be amazing and the thing yeah, is, right. I've watched I've watched a lot of Netflix, but I'm, I'm I studied a little bit. I'm like, oh, I see what's driving that character and how that's connected to that, and that's a really interesting theme over there. And what's the tension in this theme? My brain's constantly going, but I, it makes it even more enjoyable for me as well. Like, it's not that that's right. a bad thing. Um, 
that we are the way we are and the challenge with that is working out what you are and then working out how to put it into a world that might not know what to do with it so you got to know what to do with it and then <laughs> that that's that's really the point you got to know it know what to do with it you got to know what to do with how you are and the way you are because no one else is no one's going to hand you an instruction uh, book for that speaking of instruction books um uh, you're you're heavily into teaching is what i see I mean, heavily, heavily, I am I am heavily into teaching. Yes, heavily into teaching, and uh, I I like I said the first the first thing I said was it's super helpful. Um, I do want to understand uh, how is it that you approach. So for everyone else who's listening, how do you approach uh, a situation where you're going to have to teach someone's strategy, whether you're consulting them or it's an absolute beginner? Are the uh, are your approaches going to change? based on that or is there like a common thread that goes? Oh, I mean, I just, I, I teach to, I teach what I do and how I do it. And I teach to learn what I do and how I do it. And I don't vary it that much. So that sometimes we get, we, me and Julian Cole, or as I get feedback that, you know, we, it's like the basic or brilliant fundamentals, which the word brilliant is a little bit of an English tick, that adjective brilliant. Uh, but I love it. Like brilliant fundamentals. Like I've had everyone from college students through to CCOs and CEOs in my sessions. The more senior people can look and act a bit standoffish, but I can usually get them because what I'm trying to do is break down the things that we do in incredibly practical ways there will they the practicality will rub against a little bit of intellectualism and then we go into some absurdist philosophy and then i might tell a really vulnerable life story and people are like what on earth is happening right now and those that's just me trying to bring myself together you know i I mentioned about trying to do life's work and trying to feel coherent in myself and congruent in myself i don't like doing presentations which are like 10 things that we could do in marketing because of you know, blah, blah, blah situation or coronavirus right now. I want to do stuff that operates from somewhere that's very deep inside, Mm -hmm. but, but not for narcissism's sake, right? It's like, I think I've got a story to tell here and I'm going to borrow from the stories that I grew up around maybe or someone else's story. And then I'm going to tell the epiphany. It might sound intellectual in a minute, but I'll break it down and then you're going to do some work. And so that's just how I like to operate it. I feel it's a bit unusual, at least for this industry, which pretends, you know, because, because there's such a, a shadow of Oxford and Cambridge over the industry through England. Cause account planning, account plan, I'll call it account planning, account planning came from England and a lot of the people in it came or have come from Oxford and Cambridge. So very good brains usually, but also often not everyone from very rich and elite families. And there's, there can be a certain intellectual grandstanding that will immediately reach for a Greek classic philosopher or someone, or, you know, I don't know, something from like English literature, whereas I, I'll, I'll dip in a rap, I'll dip into all kinds of things, whatever's, whatever, whatever's there. And it's not to put anyone down or anything down. It's just that. I think there are other ways to get into these topics and I want more people to understand these topics because we're not talking just about strategy in advertising. We're talking about how to think. Mm-hmm. We're, not talk- we're not talking about like how you need to think because I want you to think the way I think. We're talking about how to learn how to think, how to learn how to think differently. And that to me is 
a beautiful skill. It will cause a bit of paralysis in the head every now and then and some neuroses in the head. But I, I love it. It's, it's, I mean, we have brains. And to work out how to try to use them better is kind of a cool thing. Also, still open to being a sociopath for 10 years. It'll be a more peaceful existence. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm not going to comment on that one. Um, can you, so I'm familiar with your, with your live action strategy sessions because I've been hearing a lot. Uh, I've been following them on, on the podcast. So I remember you did one with Julian. You did two with Julian. Uh, one, of them mm-hmm. had, uh, one of them had three people. Lost Toros? Lost Toros. Yeah, we've done, we, we've done probably 10 plus in the world, uh, but right. there's two or three on the podcast. There's Dos Toros and there was one to do with apps. Yeah. Yeah. There was also the DMV. DMV. Yeah, we did DMV. Yeah. And it's just, we're just trying to show how to do some quick strategy thinking because we know a lot of people are under pressure and I love doing it in public. It's a bit like a rap battle in a way where I'm like, I, what we come up with might not be incredible, but here's the deal. Not many people are going to really have to write a creative brief in 45 minutes. I know it happens, but people are going to usually have a couple of days. Right. And so, so we just, we just riff, you know, we, we have stuff to lose, but at the same time, we love what we do and we feel we, we both feel, and we've talked about this, that creativity is infinite. So, we can keep putting points of view out, but we're going to keep, and if people steal them, fine. If they criticize them, fine. Cause you know what? We can do it again and we'll do it again and we'll do it again. And that's how you get good. Well, hopefully. So yeah, the live action strategy that that's part, you know, it's just to show that there's a lot of us like to talk about what we do. And a lot of us do like to do what we do. There's a silly idea that those who can do and those who can't teach, I taught martial arts for a while and in teaching it, I had to, learn how to give words to subtle angles or subtle movements and in teaching i became better so to me the idea that you that people who can do and people who can't teach is a false idea there are teachers who can't do and there are people who can who can't teach but for some of us there's a virtuous cycle there uh, and part of the thing that we're trying to solve with these live action strategy back and forth is that a lot of people do this work and they don't often feel trained or mentored and they feel that they have, this has to be some grandstanding grandiose, you know, expensive reveal of a strategy as opposed to, Hey, let's just talk it out for 30 minutes or 40 minutes. Let's see what we come up with and let's do it five times. And then let's keep going. So we're trying to show that there's a different, they, they, that they can be a different genre to a lot of the more formal strategy that's out there. Do you think something makes for a good or bad strategy? Because like you said, right, that we, we've turned it into this grand thing that it has to sound grandiose in a manner. Uh, I couldn't come up with a better word. Um, do you think that is a, that, that we just get too caught up in trying to, trying to get into something that sounds like this grand, impressive uh, line that's going to say this is the strategy i'm going to use to get this or is it just you just sit down and come up with something simple and that's going to be effective yeah to pick on the words there so i don't use words like good bad right or wrong very often and if i do i'm like oh that was accidental i'll try to get my way out of them i think if there's some kind of grid as i'm hearing you talk right now i think there's a grid because that's a beautiful artifact that a strategist would create of captivating and usable versus 
dull and not usable. And the strategies that I like are hopefully captivating and usable. Now, if other people are coming up with creative ideas because of them, the usable is not about me finding them usable. It's about the audience, which could be a creative department, finding them usable. But I definitely want to captivate them with something. And it's usually going to be a phrase or two that will stick in their heads. And look, if you've been around the industry for long enough, you're going to know that most people you've briefed in the creative department are going to resist your brief, think it sucks. They'll be like, you can't even do this. And often a lot of the amazing work that's out there, I've seen briefs for a lot of it, even if they get post-rationalized through a case study where the brief was incredible. And you know that the insight and possibly the strategy really came out of the creative department. In some of the most famous agencies, you can can work it out. It's not that hard. Uh, But I think captivating and usable is where I like to, to operate. And again, so that depends on the audience. And, but I, I believe that it's usually a phrase or two that will get you there. And the rest of it is just assembling a scaffolding of argument so that you can support it. Right. I'm going to ask you about, because you mentioned martial arts, which martial arts were you teaching? This is irrelevant to the interview, but still. Yeah, I did, look, I did a little bit of Thai boxing when I was 15 and then Wing, wing Chun. But there are two types of Wing Chun. There's traditional and modified. And really? I did three months or so of modified Wing Chun. And then I did eight or nine years of, of traditional Wing Chun in which the Sifu, who was a world champion, is from New Zealand, a really, really rough guy. He actually brought in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he was a, ba- he was a bouncer for some and security person for some bad situations. So we did knife work and uh, he was a kickboxer as well, a professional kickboxer. So it was, it was a, it was a mixed system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that came through a guy called uh, William Chung, who was a senior student to Bruce Lee. That's my geneal- genealogy there. I'm geeking out right now, but I'm going to keep that off camera. <laughs> right. I'm going to ask you, uh, my second last question, which is for someone who's working on strategies, doesn't have to be a strategist, but is working on strategies for say, for accounts, for, uh, for communications. Like the question that I asked you, right? There's, there's, uh, there's digital marketing, which is like one end of the spectrum. Uh, but then there's digital communications where the lines are just very blurred. So for someone who's trying to navigate through that and they're completely new to the industry, what is, what is one piece of not one piece? I'm going to let you just rip on that. What is something that you would kind of tell that person to get them, just get them started. Maybe, uh, I don't know if there's learning recommendations you have. It's a tough question because you got to work out what the words mean. So you're differentiating between digital marketing and digital communications. Is that right? Um, I'm trying not to because I, uh, in my experience, the lines are just bloody. There's no segregation per se. I think they go hand in hand. Uh, but there are, uh, there are distinctions that are made at least here. Yeah. Like I don't even, we would, I would need to ask you so many questions to work out how to answer that question. It's, you know, I wrote a thing again, probably 12 years ago where it called, uh, it was titled why the world doesn't need another digital strategist. And I wrote that as a digital strategist, but I've been doing brand work for a while. And I'm like, when are we going to kill this word? Like, I don't get it. And agencies just loved creating all these departments because it gave them more people to sell more head hours to sell. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like a person who can do brand planning can do comms planning. 
they can't do it necessarily deep like a media planner might be able to, but they could certainly traverse the research and the intuitive and creative requirements to go from a creative brief, which is obviously a very small part of brand planning, help people come up with an idea and then work out where that idea could turn up in the world. And I think a lot of those people could do things like user experience or mapping customer journeys, et cetera. There are specialists in these fields who can do them deeper and better than other people, but it's, it's really just trying to understand the natural behaviors and working out how a business can fit in with that. So it's, it's a tough question to work out. A word like communications, for example, means so many different things. In a broader sense, it's just how you communicate. It's like advertising. But for people in PR, communications is a very particular thing. And there are subsets of communications within PR, crisis communications, defending reputation, uh, you know, awareness, earned media, and all these things. You take a word like earned, earned media ideas, for example. That means really, really different things for some people. For someone like me, an earned media idea is something that Leo Burnett in Sydney is great coming up with. There was one for World Wildlife Fund called Earth Hour, and that idea was about getting the world to turn its lights off for an hour. Another one was for Canon back at Leo Burnett Sydney, and that idea was called Photo 5, and it was a photo competition that people got five objects and they took photos of it and blah, 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 blah. Another one for McDonald's called the Name It Burger, where people could name a new McDonald's burger. This is ages ago. And then when I've talked about those ideas in PR agencies, they're like, oh, like Droga 5 ideas. And I'm like, they're earned media ideas. What's earned media? And someone who's been in PR for a long time would say, oh, it's when the journalist takes the headline from your press release and puts it in the article. You're like, what? So I don't know how to answer your question. That's my point. <laughs> no, I, I, I get that because there's just exactly what you just said. There's just so much of, I don't even have a word for it. There's, there's like a lot of, uh, I can't think of a word. Wow. There's a lot of, there's a lot of noise and fog. And so yes. when these, when these phrases get used, the, the cynic in you, and I think it's okay to take a cynic's stance. The cynic is like, what are you trying to get from using those words like that? The way through it is to say, Hey, guys, I feel like we're using these words around each other. Can we just write down the words that we're using often and then work out the role of those words, what we're trying to do together? There's a more meeting of minds approach to getting a, essentially a glossary for a project or for a relationship together so that we can do good work because that's what we're here to do, right? But that's, that's the message. The, the point isn't that you have to inherit any dogmatic absolute definitions of these words. The point is that we need to understand the words we use with each other so that we can spend less time worrying about what is not being said and more time thinking about interesting ideas and, and ways to improve clients' business or the world or the lives of our clients or customers, right? So that's, that's the point. Define the words, be open to them, shift. Don't be a fascist with language. Uh, know that people are using words for a reason, often to get something. And maybe what they're trying to get is inertia maybe they don't want to lose power they don't want anything to change and so they'll use words you know you know big words in a way it'll be, to be like oh we're just gonna i just want to earn this salary for three years right and then someone else comes in and goes yeah we don't have a blah blah xyz type of idea and everyone's like oh what we need a blah blah xyz type of idea do we so again <laughs> The point is just to be aware of these things. And my plea is that if you want to do interesting creative work that, that comes from a place of, place of empathy and compassion that is actually creative, to work out the words you're using with each other 
and use them with each other, not at each other, not around each other, not to undermine each other. That's, that's really the play. So it's a, it's a really difficult question. The one that you asked, uh, I would, like I said, I'd need to ask you about 20 questions to be able to work out how to answer it, which, which we can do, but maybe not. <laughs> maybe at another time, hopefully, hopefully I haven't annoyed you enough yet. Anyway, my last, I don't one. think you, I don't think you've been annoying enough. We could go there, although I don't think that's going to be a good idea. <laughs> Whatever you want. Uh, my last question. Uh, where can these people reach out to you? Uh, in, their, in their dreams. If they just close their eyes, take a few breaths, wait 45 minutes or so for some REM to kick in, and I don't mean the band. <laughs> they can they can reach me through their dreams i mean i'm on i'm on twitter and instagram at at mark pollard and i've got a website with a few articles www.markpollard.net i've got i've got a book coming out strategies your words and i've got a podcast called sweathead so there are plenty probably too many places but there are plenty of places people can find me i'm gonna leave those in the show notes <laughs> thank you so much mark this this has been beautiful I cannot thank you. <laughs> I know it's late there. So, you know, if you want to reach out again, just make sure you're asleep and you're dreaming and you'll be able to reach me. Th- I've been having weird dreams lately. Oh my God. I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to wait for the IDM to hit in. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Yeah. It was great talking to you too. And uh, I've only been to Bombay and that was for four days last year in 2019. And uh, I hope to get back to India soon. It, it's one of those countries that I, I feel like it, to do it you got to do it well and i'm like how is that 10 years or 20 years that i need to be there to actually try to understand it it's a really intimidating country i mean so much history and so many people and so many different types of people but i do want to get back there in the next couple of years so hopefully we'll meet in person hopefully as soon as this this crisis is over uh we get to travel again so i hope you i hope you drop by it sounds good and uh keep training yes sir